Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder, joined alongside Jacob Rudner. How are you doing today? I'm good, Ethan. How are you? You know, it's uh, always good to be doing the podcast and especially excited for a season preview podcast because it's just it's good to be back. And I think this year is going to be a nice uh, a nice get back into reality for everybody after a, a long year last year. So uh, it's, it's good. And I'm excited to be here. For sure. I'm also joined with Carson Breber. How are you doing? I am fantastic, Ethan. Excited to get to it as well. And also, of course, joined with Chris Cartman as well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's game week. Time to dust off, pick the pack, take some butt, take some names, and um, beat all you guys in our season predictions. And as he said, this is a season prediction show. We're going to go talk about uh, predictions that we have for the team throughout the year. Uh, If you want to know a little bit more in depth about the position groups and just throughout the team, make sure to check out the last podcast as we won't do as much of that today. It'll be more predictions for the team that we talked about in that podcast and how they'll do throughout the season. But before we get into any of that, we had some news that happened today in Herm Edwards press conference. Uh, He talked about the overall health of the team at times. We already know that Jermaine Millay is going to be out. He said that officially today said that he'll be out for the season with his triceps injury and surgery that he had earlier on in the season or earlier on in camp. And he also said today that Ralph Frias is out for an extended period of time due to a personal health issue. And Tristan Miller could potentially retire due to a personal health issue as well. So Chris, what does that do for the offensive line on this team that there were already some questions uh, going around that group in terms of depth? Right. So they had anticipated that Tristan Miller might be able to, compete for even a starting spot when they agreed to take him as a transfer from North Carolina uh, before the spring, a former four-star recruit, athletic guy, but he's almost never practiced since, since joining the ASU team, literally maybe two or three practices he's been on on the field. Um, it's a health-related matter, not able to go into any details beyond that. Um, and, you know, he wasn't, in recent weeks, um, a factor in their, among their, their, their top depth guys. Ralph Frias going into his fourth year, uh, also a, a personal health issue, not an injury. Uh, he was competing for maybe like the seventh or eighth um, backup spot. Uh, you know, if you had like two or three injuries, he might have been out there on the field. Uh, the, the key guys now at this point in what looked to be a pretty sort of shallow depth situation for ASU include Spencer Lovell as clearly the, the top backup beyond the top five starters. He can play guard or tackle. They can move Ladarius Henderson, a starting left guard, out the tackle and play level at guard, or maybe level can play tackle. Um, and then a true freshman, actually, a side glass at left tackle has looked pretty good. They've also practiced him a little bit at right tackle. And um, if in the event that Donovan West at center goes down, it's unclear whether ASU would move the number two practice player there, Jarrett Bell, who's entering his fourth year, or perhaps reconfigure by moving starting right tackle Ben Scott or starting right guard Henry Haddis over to center and then injecting uh, level. So um, they, from a number standpoint, they're still in a pretty good shape. It's just that there is a drop off, I would say, especially after level to their seventh guy. And in the event that they have two injuries, it, it could be problematic. Yeah, and, and of course, with all the talent with 
that would be behind him in terms of quarterback play and running back play. That'll be something definitely to keep an eye out for throughout the season. But other than the offensive line, just from what we've been able to see throughout practice and our viewing of practice and camp and all those things, Jamarcus Davis and Elijah Badger are two names that have come up in terms of possibly missing any games or time. What do you know about that? And what do we kind of know coming out of practice from those two players? Well, we just, they haven't practiced in the last couple of weeks and Davis at one point was on crutches. He's off crutches, some type of a leg injury. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to play against Southern Utah. I would be surprised. They don't need him to play in this game. It should be a blowout, better day. Give him another week, try to get him healthy. I don't think he's weeks away, probably more like days away. Um, so he could very well be back against UNLV the following week or maybe BYU. Uh, Elijah Badger, not exactly sure. Um, he's not practiced. I think he is a guy that ASU would want to get him in there and, and – uh, get him some catches and feeling good about himself running around in the secondary. Um, and it looks like that probably won't happen. Just, we have not seen him practicing and there's nothing that has been observed that would indicate that he's ready to play. But I also have heard that it's an injury and not something that's a long-term type of an injury. So he as well might be back in a matter of the next game or two. Yeah, and some of those injuries might cause something that we're talking about. Next, are there any surprises that we might see from the depth chart uh, from what you know so far? So the biggest thing that we're anticipating is uh, some because of some defensive line, defensive tackle in particular, issues, we could see Corey Stevens, who entered the camp as a deep backup, maybe their seventh defensive tackle. Good chance that he ends up playing um, on Thursday. The reason is with Lole out for the season, plus Stefan Wright's decision to transfer from ASU to SMU, and then Omar Norman Lott has, uh, he missed a week or so of practice before returning just in the last couple of days. Uh, that's three of ASU's top six forecasted defensive tackles. And that just, you know, as, as just a, a function of your, how many guys that you carry and are ready to play at any given point in time. Uh, has elevated Stevens up the depth chart, especially with Norman Lott, probably not needed against this type of a team. So why are you going to necessarily risk him with a bunch of extra reps that are when it's better maybe for him to get healthy? So the only guy that we've seen, and, and we haven't watched uh, any of the offensive 11 on air or 11 on 11 segments in practice, we've been shut out of those. But on, on defense, that's the only thing that we're noticing that could be different than what would ordinarily be the case. And so that is us talking about the Southern Utah game and just kind of updating on the team as is right now. Now we're going to transition over to the predictions for the season where we'll go through multiple different players and multiple different position groups, stats in terms of touchdowns, yards, um, tackles, anything like that we'll go through right now. So we'll start it right off with Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels, someone that a lot of people are looking forward to possibly taking a step up or just be the leader for this offense. So Jacob, how many passing yards do you see Jaden Daniels getting this year? Yeah, I, you know, we're missing Trevor right now, who has a, the almighty formula for calculating these things. For those of you who have been listening to this long enough, you know what we're talking about. But uh, I'm going to go with 3,100 passing yards for Jaden Daniels. It's an improvement from where he was at in his freshman year. And uh, I just think that he, he's going to be able to crack that 3,000 mark. I'm going to go a little bit higher. 
I'm going to say somewhere between 3,600, 3,700. I think, especially if they get a little bit of postseason play in there with a bowl game or possibly a Pac-12 championship game, then you're obviously adding a little bit to the schedule there. And I also think that the passing attack opening things up there has been such an emphasis throughout this offseason after ASU was disappointing there last year that even though Jaden hasn't necessarily looked his sharpest throughout all of preseason camp, I would expect some growth there. I'm going to go with 3,300 passing yards for Daniels. You look back at uh, 2019 and there were only three quarterbacks in the Pac-12 who had more than 3,000 passing yards. Justin Herbert had 3,471. I, 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 I think if, if he's in between what Jacob said and what Carson said, that would be sort of probably the average expectation. And I uh, kind of agree with Chris. I'm going to go with 3,400 uh, for Jaden Daniels in passing yards. Next up, Jaden Daniels touchdowns. How many do you have, Jacob? Uh, I went with 22 here. It's an increase from where he was at freshman year. Uh, I think that he's, you know, capable of, of breaking into the twenties. I don't know that he's going to get higher than 25 would be the ceiling. So I'm, I'm going to go with 22 for this prediction. I'm going to break right through Jacob's ceiling and I'll put this at 26. I think that it'll be interesting to see if Jaden can score on the ground as well in any way of significance. But I think that with that continued growth that I talked about with the yardage, we could see a similar increase in production as far as touchdowns. Yeah, I'm going to go with 24 touchdowns. I'm going to go with 23. Uh, we're talking about touchdowns. We're talking about passing yards. Interceptions are something that he's not going to want to be getting, but how many of you guys see him getting this season? Uh, I'm going to go with six. I'm going to go with six as well. I'll say five interceptions. I'll go with five, too. Uh, rushing yards, Carson talked about it. Jacob, how many rushing yards do you see Jaden getting to this year? I, I, I think I'm going to go with 420. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of iffy on the number because I want to make it higher, but I'm going to stay there. I'm going to say 500 flat. I don't think we see him replicate his per-game production from last year, but I think we definitely see a growth from his freshman year there. I'm going to say 525 rushing yards. I think he'll probably have two games that are well outside the average and, you know, just from those, uh, if he has 30, 40, 50 yards in the other games, it'll, it'll equal that plus 500 number. I say 525. I agree that it'll get above 500. I'll go 510. Now, talking about rushing yards, we'll go over to Rashad White, who was great last year with 10 yards for carry. He's someone that there are a lot of people have talked about so far in camp and just before the season. So how many rushing yards do you think Rashad White will get, Jacob? Uh, I actually think that he's able to crack that thousand mark and I'm going to go with 1100 uh, reason being, I think he's fully capable of breaking off several big runs. They're going to contribute to some really big above average games. And uh, I think by the time the season's over, he'll, he'll hit about 1100. I'm going to be right in that same area. I have 1120 down. I think that obviously incredibly dynamic season last year, maybe he could go higher individually if it wasn't such a talented backfield overall, but I think we're going to see a few guys produce here. So I wouldn't expect anybody to get anything ridiculous, like 1400 plus again, regardless of the talent there. Yeah. The carries are going to be spread out probably too much for it to go too high. I agree that it's going to be somewhere in the 1100 range. I'll just say 1100. even. I was going to go with 1100 even as well. So 
That is about the range that we all went with. What about yards per carry for Rashad White? I talked about him getting 10 yards per carry. It'd be pretty crazy to replicate that. What are you thinking, Jacob? Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to replicate that this season, but because uh, there are other talented backs that are going to get touches throughout games, I think he's going to get seven yards per carry in order to be able to get to that 1,100 mark. I'm going to put him at five and a half. I think that's still an excellent number. And I think he could still get enough carries to get to 1100 with that because ASU obviously is likely going to run the ball a lot, even if they do want to lean a bit more towards the pass. Very hard for anybody to average more than six and a half yards per carry in the Pac-12. I don't think it's been done in in recent years. I'm going to say that he averages 6.1 yards per carry. I'm going to go with 5.5 just because I think there's going to be a lot of carries and it'll be hard to replicate what he did last year and might go down just depending on uh, how much he runs and what he does. But what about touchdowns this year for Rashad White? Uh, factoring in his ability to receive and to catch touchdowns, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with 15 total touchdowns. I think the strong majority of those are as a runner, but he was so involved in the passing game last year that, that that's the number I'm going to go with. If we're incorporating receiving, I'll go with 12. Yeah, I'm going to say – all purpose, like not including any return touchdowns from scrimmage, I'm going to say that he has 14 touchdowns. I'm going to go with – I was going to go with 15 as well. So I'll go with 15, uh, 15 touchdowns for Rashad White. Now over to the other running back, uh, one of the two running backs in the – what they've called a three-headed monster in the backfield, Diamante Trainum, a different running back, but still very good in his own right. How many rushing yards does Diamante Trainum get this year? Uh, I'm going to go eight – 25 for Diamante Trainum. I'm going to go with 850. I think that you guys are right again in, in sort of the average expectation. I'll say that he has 775. I'll go with 800 for Diamante Trainum. Yards per carry. Uh, I think it's going to be 4.9 for Trainum, and a lot of that is going to be because he's going to get a significant amount of red zone touches, which is just going to end up being limiting as far as his overall yards per carry uh, average goes. So uh, I'm going to go 4.9. I think that's reasonable. I'm going to go just a tick above. I'll give him five flat. I think that he was outstandingly efficient on the ground last year, up near six yards of carry. And although he may be that red zone short yardage back a little bit more, I still think he can get up to that five yards of carry mark. I agree. I'm going to say 5.1. I'm going to go 4.5. Touchdowns. I I think I'm going to say nine for Trainum, just because there's just going to be significantly less receiving production. I will give him uh, nine as well. I'll say 10 touchdowns. I'll go 10 as well. Now over to the receiving side on the team. Who is going to lead the team in receptions this year? Uh, I went with LV Bunkley Shelton. I just think that he's going to be the go-to target in short yarded situations. I'm going to go with Johnny Wilson here. I think that he is a guy who improved as last year went along. And a lot of people have shouted him out as the guy who's impressed the most throughout camp. So it'd be a leap, but I'll go with it. I mean, I would say that's the biggest surprise so far, uh, the predictions on the podcast, but the potential is there for that. I'm also going to say LV Bunkley Shelton, similar to what Jacob said, 
he's just going to be the dump off and short yardage guy so often that it seems pretty likely to me that he gets the most targets in the minimum. Yeah, I would agree. I think Ellie Bunky Shelton's a guy that they kind of just see as he's just so consistent uh, when he's making routes and, and he it gets a lot of receptions as we saw last year as well. Receiving touchdowns though, receiving touchdowns, who do you guys think will have the most this year? Yeah, I think it's somebody different. I'm going to go with Ricky Pearsall to lead the team in receiving touchdowns. Uh, I just think that he's going to be a little bit more uh, open downfield in, than, than LV Bunkley Shelton will be, just with LV running a little bit more of the short route stuff. So I went with Ricky. I'm going to go with Johnny again here. I just think that he has the frame to be that kind of guy in the red zone with just his absurd size. And I don't know that he'll necessarily have insane production in either respect. I think it's going to be a pretty spread out air attack this year, but I'll go with him here for touchdowns too. Very difficult. I think it's highly possible that it could be Wilson or even maybe Jalen Conyers who leads the team in touchdown receptions. I think I might also go with Johnny Wilson. And by the way, Ethan, I wanted to also get in who is going to lead the team in receiving yards. And for that one, I'm going to go with Ricky Pearsall. And I think it's going to be a bunch of dudes who are like maybe four or five guys who are all in a similar within 200 yards or so of one another. And I'm going to say Pearsall leads the team with around 725 receiving yards. What, what, what do you guys think about that one? I think Pearsall's a good choice. I guess I would, again, go with Johnny probably. I think if he leads the team in catches, he's probably going to lead in yards as well. And I would probably have him as well in that 700 range. And, and I would agree with you, Chris. I'm going to go with Ricky Pearsall. Uh, I, I'm going to go with 750. I would agree with both Johnny Wilson and Ricky Pearsall. Johnny Wilson for the, red, or for the touchdowns and... Ricky Pearsall for the yards, and I'll go 765 uh, for receiving yards. Now I'll head over to tight ends that Chris just talked a little bit about. The whole group as a whole is expected to get more of a part in the offense in terms of Zach Hill's offense, especially since it's the second year under it. We'll talk about total receptions for the ASU tight ends combining for this amount of, of receptions over under 40. I'm going to take the over. We've written now a couple stories. Carson wrote one. Uh, it's on the site now. A really good one. Just about Zach Hill's history of tight end usage dating back to when he was at Boise State. And those guys were involved quite a bit. And I think that ASU's tight ends have progressed to a point where they can potentially be involved nearly or as much as, as Hill involved them at Boise State. So I'm going to say over. I think this is a tough one because there are some dynamic athletes in that room, a couple of converted receivers. And I think that Jalen Conyers is obviously sort of the eye-popping addition, had a great spring game and was a four-star receiver talent. And so even though he hasn't consistently been getting those first team reps, those have largely gone to Curtis Hodges, there's certainly potential there. I'm going to take the under though, just because I think last year they were so uninvolved. If you're counting Case Hatch, the tight ends in total had five catches. And of course the air attack was more limited. That's only four games, but 40 catches to me seems like a bit too large of a leap. Although I do think they'll probably get close to that because there's definitely depth and talent in this room. And as Jacob mentioned, Zach Hill loves his tight ends. I agree. I think it's going to be close, but just under the 40. I'm going to go over to team up with Jacob here. How many total yards do we expect them to get over under 550? 
I gave him the over on the catches, but I'm going to go under on the yards. I think that their involvement is going to be heavily in the red zone, which again is limiting in, total, in terms of total yards. Uh, I think Curtis Hodges has the potential to break off for big plays like we saw last year, but, but all of that combined, I don't think gets to 550. I'm going to take the under here as well. I think the under is probably one of the safer bets that we've had so far on this one. And I will take the under as well. So those were a little bit more specific on the offensive end. Now for the offense as a whole, who's going to lead the team in yards from scrimmage? I think it's Rashad White. I mean, we've talked several times just about how talented that guy is. And he, you know, he accounted for 55% of ASU's total yards last year. Um, I think that number might be less this year, but I certainly think that he's still capable of leading the team in the category. I think Rashad is the no-brainer here. He led the team in receiving last year, and I think we all expect him to lead the team in rushing. I think this, this is a pretty easy call. It's got to be very easy. If it's anyone other than Rashad White, it would be shocking. And I will say Rashad White as well. Now, that's not going to be a surprise, but who is going to be the biggest surprise statistically Surprise statistically for ASU this season. You've mentioned him a couple times. I'm going to go Jalen Conyers. I think he's going to be a, a real standout this year. Maybe the answer is Johnny Wilson based on the reaction that I elicited from Chris for saying that. I was thinking about Daniel Nagata here just because I think he could still get up to around 500 yards even as a third back in this room. Maybe that's not shocking though. So I guess I'll go with Johnny if I think he's going to lead in all three categories receiving wise. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't go with Johnny there, I would have had some, some words for you. But <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go with Nagata. I think he looked really good to me in practices, and people will be expecting that the two-headed monster to suck up so much oxygen in the room. But Nagata's uh, very capable to me of ha- making some really big plays, and uh, I think there will be – quite a bit of fan excitement generated uh, from him, perhaps as soon as Thursday. I had Nagata down as well for the biggest surprise statistically. Now this one's going to be a little bit more, but rank the ASU's top five, ASU's top five offensive players. This includes offensive linemen. So rank them in order. One to five. I think it's Rashad White, Donovan West, Diamante Trainum, Jaden Daniels, and Kellen Deesh. Uh, I think you can switch West and Trainum. I think you can switch Deesh and Daniels, uh, but that's what I'm going to stick with for now. I have the same top five as Jacob, just in a different order. I would go Rashad, Jaden, Diamante, Donovan West, and then Kellen Deesh. Uh, same five. My order is Rashad White, number one, Donovan West, number two, Diamante Trainum, number three. Jaden Daniels, number four, and Kellen Deesh, number five. And mostly Kellen Deesh, five, because he didn't look quite as good as I expected uh, in, in the first couple of weeks of camp. I thought he would be um, kind of dominant, and there were guys that were beating him sometimes in pass rush. Uh, I have the same five. I have Rashad White, one, Donovan West, two, Trainum, three. I have Deesh, five, and then at four – I had, I'm blanking on Jane it. Daniels. Jane Daniels. Jane Daniels. I had Jane Daniels at four. Um, let's move on from there. We'll go to the defense. Who will be the top two players on the team in total tackles? Uh, I think it's going to be Darian Butler. And then I don't know if this will surprise people. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to go Evan Fields, number two. 
I'm going to go with Darian Butler as well. He's been a tackle machine historically, and Fields at the safety position has been a tackle machine as well. I think he led the team comfortably last year. I'm going to go with Kyle Soley, though. I think he's a guy who can be very productive there as well. And on the nickel packages, it's primarily been Soley and Butler out there, so we'll have a lot of chances to do that as well. Yeah, Carson, I think, hit it on the head there. Just because Robertson is not on the field as much in their nickel, uh, I think that the odds lean more a little bit towards Soli, uh, for the edging him out for the number two spot with Darian Butler, the clear number one. I do think that there's a very good chance of Evan Fields being in the top three or four. I would agree with Carson and Chris. I had Darian Butler and Kyle Soli. Who will be the top two players on the team in tackles for loss? Uh, I think one of these is, is a shoe-in, as is in the next category that we're going to talk about, and that's Tyler Johnson. And then my second for tackles for loss, I'm actually going to go with Michael Matus. We've seen a lot of improvement from him. I think he's going to be on the field a lot, and I think he's going to make a statement. I agree with Jacob that Tyler Johnson is an obvious top choice here. I thought about Matus here for sure. I'm going to go with Merlin Robertson, though. I think he's a little more productive than he was last year and has the kind of dynamic skill set to get into that backfield regularly. Yeah, I think Jacob has my top two. Tyler Johnson, clearly number one. Matus closely edging out a few other players, including Trevez Moore, Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler. I also went with Matus with Tyler Johnson because all this stuff that they've been talking about, about Robert Rodriguez, it just seems like they're going to come with a different level of intensity and skill this year that they've learned from Rodriguez. So I had Johnson and Matus, who will be the top two players on the team in sacks. I'm sticking with the same two guys, Tyler Johnson, Michael Matus. I'm going to go with those two as well. I'm going to say Tyler Johnson and Trevez Moore with um, the sleeper candidate being Omar Norman Lott, but Trevez Moore looked really good. And I think on passing downs, uh, he's going to be uh, around the target zone quite a bit. I'm going to go with Carson and Jacob with Johnson and Matus. Who will be the top two players on the team in interceptions? As much as I wanted to include Chase Lucas in this, I don't think teams are going to throw the ball his direction enough for him to be in the top two. And for that reason, I went with Jack Jones and Evan Fields. Uh, I think that Chase Lucas is going to be right there, but just due to the you know sheer lack of opportunities that I think quarterbacks are going to give him, I don't think he's in that top two. That's interesting. I thought of about that sort of no-fly zone factor with Chase as well. I'm still going to have him here, and I think that there are a lot of good choices in that secondary. DeAndre Pierce had an interception last year. I'm going to go with Jack Jones as my second guy, though. Man, this is one I really, really struggled with, and I don't think anyone is going to be clearly ahead of others, but I'm actually going to go with DeAndre Pierce and Jack Jones as my top two. I went with Chase Lucas and Jack Jones like Carson. Um, who are ASU's top five defensive players in order? I went with Chase Lucas, Jack Jones, Evan Fields, Tyler Johnson, and Darian Butler. Uh, seriously close honorable mentions for me were Kyle, Kyle Soley and DJ Davidson. I went with Chase Lucas, Jack Jones, Tyler Johnson, Evan Fields, and then I went back and forth between Soli and Butler, but I have Butler in that five spot. Yeah, I have Chase Lucas, number one, Jack Jones, number two, Tyler Johnson, number three, Evan Fields, number four, and DJ Davidson, number five. 
I have the same thing as Chris until Davidson. I went with Darian Butler at five as well. Or I went with Darian Butler. I think that was similar to Carson. Uh, let's move over to special teams, which is a topic of discussion for the team. Eddie Schlaplicki is expected to take over the punting duties over under 40 yards per punt for Schlaplicki this year. I'm going to go under, but like really, really barely. I, I think like three, 39.5, maybe even a little bit higher, but still under. Um, we saw some really good accurate punting from Zaplicki throughout preseason camp, but not a whole bunch of bombs from him. So for that reason, I think the average is low, but I still think he's going to be able to prove his value just with his directional punting. I think this one is right on the fence as well. I'm going to go slightly over here, which would mean he's basically an average Pac-12 punter, and I think that that's reasonable to expect. Maybe slightly below average even still at 40. Yeah, I think he's going to be up closer to 41 yards. I am going to go with over as well. I think that was his goal, which means that it's it's most likely kind of attainable in that way. He talked about it in uh, the time that we got to ask him a couple questions. Who will be the team's primary field goal kicker and what percentage will he be on field goal attempts? Uh, I think to start, it's going to be Logan Tyler, but I think come week two or three, maybe four, uh, Christians and Dejas, who has returned to ASU after entering the transfer portal in January, will take over as the starting kicker. And I think he finishes the season around 83%. I agree with Jacob. I think that Zendejas is the guy basically when he's ready and comfortable and situated and all that. And he's a guy who is very accurate on short distances. So I'll have him up even a little bit higher at 85. Uh, I, I do think that Zendejas will take over the kicking duties, hearing that he probably won't be able to play in the first game, but maybe by the third game of the season. Um, I think he's going to end up somewhere right around 80%. I agree with Sindejas. I had him at around 85% like Carson as well. Um, Now this one, it has gotten a lot of discussion because of his goal that he had set at the beginning of the season, but how many kickoffs will DJ Taylor return for a touchdown this season over under 2.5? I am taking the over, and I actually think it's possible that two of those come within the first three games. Uh, I think that's super bold, but I totally see it as possible, so I'm taking that over. Just to contextualize what DJ's goal was, he said he wanted to get five, and he said that he basically thinks he'll be the best kick returner in the nation this year. I could really see him getting three. There is certainly some randomness to something like that, I'm going to say that he gets two, though, and I'll take the under, but this was a tough one for me. Very tough between two and three. I agree. I think the the over-under is set perfectly here. And I'm going to say that he gets two. I'm going to go with over. Uh, I think he was electric, and he he definitely has a chance to get three, as you guys talked about. Now, going for more overall in the team in general, what are ASU's three strongest position groups? Uh, in order, I went secondary, running back, linebacker. Uh, secondary, you know, just with all the experience they return, I think it's pretty clear why they're at the top. Uh, running back, we talked about their strengths throughout the podcast. And then linebacker, in my opinion, they have guys who are, you know, Butler's in the top five. We just said it, all of us, or, or most of us. And I think Soli's right there, too. And Robertson's obviously uh, nothing to joke about. So I think that that's in my order right there. 
I have the same units and the same hierarchy as Jacob. I actually think that as remarkable as that secondary is, it's very close between them and the running backs, but I'm going to give the edge to what is such an experienced unit there. And I will as well go secondary running backs, linebackers. I think it's very clear that the top two are secondary and running back in some order toss up. And the third to me is the defensive line slightly edging out linebackers, even with the low lay injury. I, I think I agree with Cartman with the running backs and secondary, as everyone said, is the top two. And then I put linebackers at three as well. Uh, what are ASU's three weakest position groups? Uh, in order, I went tight ends one, wide receivers two, special teams three. Uh, I think that the tight end unit, even though uh, it, it brought in Jalen Conyers, Curtis Hodges looks improved. Uh, it's still a pretty thin group. John Stivers is arguably the number three in that group, and he was just put on scholarship. Uh, not really a pass-catching tight end, but a pretty good blocker. Uh, wide receivers, we haven't really seen a clear number one emerge in, in preseason camp. And for that reason, I just think that's the second you know, weakest unit. And then special teams, there's been a lot of transition. Christians and Dejas might take over as the starting kicker, as we all predicted. So they really don't have that position solidified. And then they got a true freshman punter. So uh, that's why it's in the bottom three for me. I agree with Jacob with his exact group in that order, weakest to strongest out of these three tight ends and then receivers and then special teams. I think that units on this team where you not have a bunch of established returning starters are kind of the outliers. And these are a few units where that's mostly the case or those starters weren't overly productive last year. Clearly the top two in some order would be tight ends and wide receivers. And after that, it's a drop off to, um, or an improvement substantially, if you want to look at it that way, to the next lowest, and that would probably be special teams. I agree. I would go with the same three as well in that order. Um, now we'll go to ASU in terms of where they will rank in the Pac-12 in multiple different stats. So first off, total yards, where will ASU rank in the Pac-12? Uh, I think that the the rushing yards are really going to buoy this for them, and I think they finished the season third. Um, I don't think they're going to have enough passing production to crack the top two, so that's why I went with number three. I have them third here as well. Yeah, they're going to be behind Oregon and USC, but after that, there's a very good chance that they could be third. I think UCLA is the other really strong candidate. I'm going to say ASU ends up fourth. I'm going to go with them ending up third scoring offense. They're ranked in the Pac-12. I went with third here as well, because I just think for the reasons Chris outlined, I I would put Oregon and USC ahead of them. Agreed again. I don't think they're going to replicate the 41 points a game they had last year, but I think that behind those top two that have already been highlighted, they're probably the best of the bunch. Yeah, I'm going to say fourth in scoring offense. Part of this is because I think ASU's defense is so good that they're going to play in some lower scoring games than some of these other teams like a UCLA. I would agree with that. So I, I would put them fourth as well. Passing yards it rank in the Pac-12. I went with third here. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, it's going to be a good year for Jaden. I still don't think that he cracks the top three. I think Slovis is clearly up there. And then, you know, it, there's a toss up between a couple other people in my opinion, but I, I think he's third. I'm going to have him third as well. I also say third. I also say third. Rushing yards. 
I think they lead the Pac-12 again. You know, clearly the best trio of running backs, all of whom I think could be starters if it really came down to it. So number one. I think that they're number one here as well. Last year, 264 yards a game on the ground, which far outpaced anybody else. Obviously, that's tougher to sustain over a 12-game season, but I still think they have the strongest group of running backs out there in that respect. I think ASU is going to be number one in the only team to flirt with 200 yards per game on the ground. I would say number one as well, total defense. I think they lead the Pac-12 here as well. Um, I think that this is an extremely experienced defense, the biggest hole of which obviously is with Jermaine Lole. Still a very strong unit. Chris had the defensive line, the top three on the team. Uh, I, I think the, the, the best in total defense. I'm honestly going to make a decision on the fly here between first and second. I think I'm going to go second here just narrowly, but there's a very strong case to be made that they have the most experienced, maybe most talented defense in the conference. I'm going to say second in total defense. It's only because they'll probably give up uh, a little bit more rushing yards than, than a couple of the other teams. But still, pass defense will be good enough to move them up to second overall. I'll go second as well. And talking about what Chris just said, rushing defense. Yep, he brought up the point that I was going to bring up. That is, I think, the weakest part of this defense or the biggest question mark going into the season. I was between second and third, but I'm going to go with second in the category. I have ASU even a little bit lower there. I think that with the loss of Lole, who was probably the best run stopper on this team, they weren't exceptional against the run last year. I have them fifth there. I have them fourth in rushing defense. I have them fourth as well. What about passing defense? I was, to me, it was a toss up between first and second, but at the end of the day, based on everything I've said in this part of our podcast, I have to say first, uh, just between the experience and the overall talent that's back there, number one. I was also between first and second here, but I am also going to go first. Yeah, I think it'll be Oregon, Washington, and ASU in some order. And I'm, I'm just bullish on ASU secondary. I'm going to say number one. I'm going to say number one as well for the, those same reasons. Uh, we talked about everything about the team and everything that they have put forward in terms of players and who they have. What are the three things that will ultimately determine ASU's success or lack thereof this season? And why do you think that? So I'll, I'll say my three things first, and then I'll get into the reasons. I went with pass protection, productivity through the air in terms of Jaden's ability to throw the ball, and then the defensive line's production without Jermaine Lole. Uh, teams are going to try and stop the run against ASU. I don't think that's a secret. They're going to stack the box. It's going to come down to Jaden's ability to throw the ball over the top of defenses and beat them that way when the run potentially, you know, dries up. Not, we don't know that it will or won't, but if it does, uh, pass protection is just related. You know, this is an offensive line that was successful last year. Can they replicate that over the course of a full season? And then lastly, you know, there's no understating how big a loss Jermaine Lole is for the whole season. Uh, the defensive line is going to have to make up for his production and their ability to do so will allow this team to be successful or not. I strongly agree with Jacob in these choices. I think to even maybe make mine a little bit distinct from his, I would say specifically in that effort to supplement Lole's production, how they can perform against the run. I think that absolutely the pass efficacy overall is going to be pivotal to determining the ceiling of this offense. I'll also focus though on the ability of the receivers and the tight ends there to be productive and to create separation and create opportunities there. 
And then I think special teams, if ASU is going to be in some tight games against some strong conference opponents, they've got some tough games on the road, those kind of narrow margins could be determining factors. And again, they aren't quite as proven there as they are almost everywhere else on the field. Good points being made here. Hard to find too many faults with them outside of the obvious turnover differential, which always is the most important factor. I'm going to say it's how much improvement that we see from ASU's receivers and tight ends. Uh, and then we secondarily, it would be Jane Daniels development as an in pocket in the pocket passer and his ability to check um, at the line of scrimmage and get into the right sort of plays for what he's seeing defensively. And the third thing I would say is just the that overall run stopping capability. If um, you don't have to commit another safety into that box, um, that makes it awfully hard to beat ASU as its defense is configured. Yeah, I said a lot of very similar things. It talked about the defensive line in terms of their pass rush as well, just because with how good the secondary is, they're going to be able to get to the quarterback or they'll have some time at least to get to the quarterback. So if they can do that successfully, I was talked about pass protection and the receiving success, just because those are things that it, it will help Jane Daniels get to the potential that some people see him at. And that could get them from good to great and have success. Who are the players that are not getting talked about much right now that will have a big impact on the season and why? So I, I had three guys that came to mind when I when we were preparing for this podcast, but I decided to narrow my list down to two. And I think the first one for me is DJ Davidson. It's not that he's not going to be on the field. It's not that he's not a starter. He obviously is, but I still don't think people talk about him enough. He kind of goes underappreciated, in my opinion. I think that he's a very good player, and especially with Jermaine Lowe layout, his role is that much more amplified and important. And I think that he needs to be a bigger part of the conversation as ASU gets ready for its season. And the second person, I actually mentioned him earlier in the podcast, it's John Stivers. Uh, you know, he is slightly more versatile at this moment, in my opinion, than Jalen Conyers, just with Conyers having never played as a blocking tight end, as an inline tight end between his time at Oklahoma and in high school. And I think for that reason, John Stivers might actually have to step up as a number two tight end potentially in certain situations for ASU. And I don't think he's getting enough attention, especially for somebody who's looked actually pretty good in preseason camp. I think those are good choices. I'm going to go with a couple guys who are not starters, but are right below that level and are definitely going to get a ton of rotational time. I think that Nagata is absolutely a guy who could have a couple of explosive games if he just is the guy who gets into a rhythm and is getting fed those touches. We saw him get a lot of touches when he was actually out there on the field last year in those couple games. And then I think that Trevez Moore is a guy who has earned some first-team reps. Again, he's not going to be a starter there, but I think because of what we've talked about with him before, his speed, his just game-breaking pass rushing, he can have a significant impact, particularly as that pass rusher when he is out there. Yeah, there's not a lot of talk around Henry Haddis, uh, who I think had a phenomenal camp and seems to be a lot healthier than he was last season. Um, somebody that, that you would expect to be ASU's fourth or fifth best offensive lineman could actually end up being their maybe second best offensive lineman, even potentially this year. I think he's, he's looked that good. Trevez Moore is a pretty straightforward pick for me based on everything we've seen in camp as a non-starter that's going to make an impact. 
I also think that Omar Norman Lott will show that his future is extremely promising as a three technique tackle. I mentioned him in the, in the previous podcast. And again, if he stays healthy and engaged, uh, he could be a really tremendous player. I also went with Trevez Moore. I think he hasn't gotten talked a lot about and then everything that you guys talked about him being good in the pass rush. And then I also went with Ricky Pearsall, which maybe isn't quite as much of him not getting talked about, but I feel like he's someone that kind of goes unnoticed at times in the things that he do that he does. And we talked about him earlier about uh, the things that he could even lead the team in. So I think he's someone that maybe doesn't quite get talked about as much as he should with the impact that he could have on the team. Uh, now make one bold statement about a player or something else on the team. I'm so glad I get to go first for this question because I'm afraid that somebody was going to steal this. I think BJ Green, who hasn't been talked about enough in this podcast, I actually think he becomes a factor this season. I think he ranks in the top six ASU players in overall sacks. Uh, he's looked phenomenal in camp. I think that the coaches know that. And I think that he gets playing time and the recognition he deserves. So BJ Green, top six in sacks for ASU. I like that. I think it's interrelated with my prediction, which is that ASU will have 30 plus sacks overall as a team. If that's not bold enough, I'd be willing to take that number a little bit higher. I just think even with the loss of Lole, for the very least, the majority of the season, there is depth here as far as the kind of dynamic pass rushes you could have. Guys who aren't even starters, like Jacob mentioned with a BJ Green, like we said about Trevez Moore or an Omar Norman Lot. And so I think collectively, this was already a strong pass rush last year. I think that they can get to the quarterback even a little bit more this year. You guys are all around my pick, which is uh, also based upon ASU having what I believe to be an excellent pass rush that could have 30 plus sacks this year. And that is that Tyler Johnson is going to lead the Pac-12 in sacks. I think this is the year that it all will come together for him. And uh, I could see him with something like 11 or 12 sacks. I talked about this earlier, about it being something that could be a possibility. I, I don't know how bold this is, but I think DJ Taylor can get four receiving or four returning touchdowns this year. That's pretty bold. Ethan. That's bold. <laughs> maybe, maybe even more, but it's kind of bold already saying four. So I'm just going to go. Receiving touch, a return touchdown every three games for Ethan, ladies and gentlemen. The NCAA I, record he, is he five. Gave me, he gave me a lot of confidence when he said it to me. So I, I'm going to. I heard he to... said he was going to do one with you on his back, even. <laughs> oh, really? I, I didn't hear that one. I heard that. I mean, it might be possible. I, I'd like to see that, honestly. See how hard that would be. I think Who he wouldn't. <laughs> All right, what is, what is your prediction for ASU's record and what are the next two likeliest records after that that you could see happening? Chris and I have had lengthy conversation about this. He has changed my opinion on the situation. And for that reason, I think their most likely record, ready for this, I'm, I'm watching his reaction, we're doing this on Zoom, is nine and three. I think their second most likely record is eight and four. And after that, it's 10 and two. Wow. Okay. I think as well that ASU's most likely record is nine and three. And I think that for a team that was the top scoring offense and defense in the Pac-12 last year, and we expect to be a top three team probably on both sides of the ball this year, you could maybe even lean towards that 10 win mark, but the schedule as far as 
the home road distribution is tough. You have to go to BYU out of conference, which they won't be as strong as last year, but still one of the better teams in college football to UCLA to a top 25 Utah team to a top 25 Washington team. Even though you avoid Oregon, I just think that that's a lot of tough games, but I do think 10 and two is the second most likely. And I think eight and four is the third most likely. Wow. The 10 and two is the second most likely. It's kind of big. Yeah. I think the way that I, I try to look at this is the odds of winning any individual game and then how that sort of impacts the overall odds. Right. And one of the things that I think changed Jacob's mind that I presented to him was if you look at what are the five most likely ASU games to be decided by a touchdown or less, okay? That's probably UCLA, Stanford, Utah, USC, and Washington. And what that means is the other seven games, which of course are the three non-conference games, plus Colorado, Washington State, and Tempe, at Oregon State, and Arizona, ASU should be favored in those games, even at Oregon State probably. So they should probably win six or seven of those games. And then in the five games that they have that are probably the most competitive on average, right, um, they get USC and Stanford at home in those games. So I think that nine wins is the most likely outcome um, with actually probably eight and four, the second most likely and 10 and two, the third most likely. I would also just add before you go, Ethan, one of the other things that Chris and I talked about that really convinced me to go with nine wins over eight was that Chris brought up a point where in the first six games, if you were to look at ASU schedule, are they more likely to go five and one in those first six games with three games that they really should win? Or are they more likely to go four and two? And if you really think about it, I would say that they're probably slightly more likely to go five and one than four and two. And that allows them to go four and two in those last six games and still come away with a nine-win season. So that, also, that's the biggest thing. It also gives them good momentum and energy and, you know, feeling good about how things are going, which can help you in close games the rest of the way. And in the close games, when you have a good defense and you have a Jaden Daniels who's proven to be able to strap a team on his back in those late fourth quarter drives, those are the things that really enable you to win close games. And with everything that I've heard, it'd be pretty tough to go against what I already had in nine and three, eight and four, and 10 and two. So I will go with those. And we will now go to the big question Will ASU win the Pac 12 South? Even though I think they win nine games this season, I do not think ASU wins the Pac 12 South. I think it goes to USC. Uh, I think one of those three losses for ASU might actually be to USC. I think USC stays tough with that record the entire time. So no, I do not think ASU wins the Pac-12 South. I think that that game against USC very well may be the decider, but I also do think ASU could actually still win that game and end up with three losses and not end up with that South title. This is very close. I would say their probability is like 45% to win it if USC is at 55, but I'm going to give the slight edge to the Trojans there and say that ASU does not win it. Well, I picked ASU in my Pac-12 South media poll vote, so I think I, in fairness to that, I'm going to stick with that, even though I think it's basically a toss-up with USC. I'm going to agree with Carson and Jacob. I think USC uh, are the the ones that I would expect to win at this point right now. So that is everything in terms of predictions for the whole season. 
Now, just to the game that we have next, what are your predictions for the Southern Utah game? Well, I, I think the, the, the question here was what might be what might we see in this game that goes beyond the score? And I think the biggest thing for me when I thought about it was this is going to be a game where ASU's backup linebackers, which features a stark drop-off from the experience of its starters, are going to get some critical reps. That's Will Schaefer. Uh, that's McCullough. That's, there's a whole bunch of guys who I think are going to have to co- – uh, Connor Soley is going to be able to play. And they don't have a whole lot of playing experience. I think we're going to be able to see what they're made of in a, in a you know, lesser game against an opponent that's going to get blown out. And I think that's super important for this team. I agree with Jacob. I think that's a key group. I would throw Eric Gentry into that mix possibly as well. And a lot of those young guys have been among the most praised on the defense for their progress and for their possible readiness to play. So we'll see if they can deliver. I think that clearly just overall depth is what you're going to see here. I think that what we see from the interior defensive lineman is going to be big. Who's getting those opportunities between Corey Stevens versus TJ Pesafea versus Omar Norman Lott? How do they perform? And I also think that what we see overall from the wide receivers is going to be important as far as the distribution of snaps, who stands out, because I really do think that that's such a clustered group that you're not going to see anybody separate in one game, but it could be telling as far as the first signs of who's really playing well out of that group. My three things are defensive speed. I think it'll be electric. Number two, overall run blocking on offense with that offensive line. And then number three is, they're going to be able to get some receivers uh, running around in space with a football, banging their heads on the goalpost and feeling good about themselves going into tougher games. Yeah. And in my opinion, off of what Herm Edwards said as well, it's just looking to see how the team really prepares for the game and then actually does the game in terms of how they are on the bench and how they are when they get onto the field and just being prepared and just being ready for a game like this is something that, says a lot about a team for a whole season in terms of how they prepare and how they're ready for games. Now past that, we'll go to actually predictions as Chris talked about earlier on in the show, pick the pack. Chris has a lot of confidence in terms of going into this for the games that we do have odds for. We'll do odds as well. And we'll pick who we think will win the game. So first off Stanford at Kansas state, Kansas, it is a negative 2.5 minus 2.5. I think Stanford wins this game. Uh, I, by the way, I just want to—I just want to say I know Chris has a lot of confidence, but everybody should be reminded that he finished last in this game last year. Just wanted to put that out there on the pod. Uh, but that being said, Stanford wins the game. I think that this is a tough one. I'm going to go with Stanford outright as well. I think that even though you're making the transition out of the Davis Mills era, should be a strong all-around team, and I'll take them to win even on the road there. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Stanford wins on the road. And um, I think they'll be, I think Stanford will be a better team this year. I will say Stanford as well. Next up, Fresno State at Oregon. Oh, Oregon minus 20.5. Yep. Blowout time. Oregon wins and covers the spread. I am also going to take Oregon to win and cover. I have Oregon winning, but not covering. I think Fresno State gets good athletes, and they look good to me. So I think it's going to be close to that line, but uh, Fresno State covers it. I would say Oregon wins and covers. San Jose State at USC. USC is minus 14. USC wins and covers. uh, You know, it's my Pac-12 South pick, and I think they start off strong. 
I think USC wins. I am going to say that it's right around that line. I'm not sure that they cover. I'm going to say that San Jose State actually beats that line there, even though I think USC's offense can be so dynamic. San Jose State was really good last year, and I think that they can be competitive. I'll take USC to cover. I'll take USC to cover as well. Oregon State at Purdue, Purdue minus seven. Yeah, I don't think this is the Beavers' year. I'm, I'm going Purdue to win and cover at Purdue. I'm going to go Purdue to win and cover as well. I'll go Purdue win and cover. I'll go Purdue win and cover. Next, LSU at UCLA, LSU minus three. Uh, this was the toughest one of the week for me. Uh, I went back and forth on it quite a bit. At the end of the day, as much as I think the Bruins are going to have a really good year, uh, LSU is just too good. I think LSU wins and covers this one actually pretty easily. I agree. I think that they win and cover. Nice that you don't have to go to LSU, but I still don't know that it's enough to make up for the talent gap there. Hmm. LSU has been a little messy um, behind the scenes and off the field stuff lately. I think UCLA might actually win this game with with LSU having to travel east to west after the hurricane and people thinking about their families and a lot of distractions. I'm going to still go LSU and I'm going to say they're going to cover as well. Nevada at Cal, Cal minus three. Uh, I, I actually really like how Cal looks this year. Uh, I think even though they lost some significant coaching power over the offseason, uh, I think Cal starts off the season strong. Cal win, cover. I think that this is one of the easier picks for me. I'm going to take Cal to win and cover as well. Cal easy. This is the, this is the, the pick of the week. Cal win and cover for me too. BYU at Arizona, BYU minus 12.5. 12 and a half. I actually think this one's right up there with just as easy as the previous. I think BYU wins and covers pretty easily here. I think BYU wins and covers as well, although I'm not quite as confident as Jacob, maybe. Yeah, BYU wins and covers, but I think it'll be close to the line. I I went with BYU wins and covers as well. Utah State at Washington State. Washington State minus 16 and a half. Uh... Uh, you know, with everything that's gone on at Washington State over the offseason, you know, just there seems to be a lot of drama there. I don't know that they're going to blow out Utah State. Uh, I'm going to go Washington State win, no cover. I'm going to go Washington State to win and cover. I don't think that anything went particularly well for Utah State last year. And it's a big line, but it's not a ridiculous one. So I'll take Washington State. Cougars win and cover. I'll go Washington State win and cover. The next four games we don't have odds for, but we'll pick them straight up. Montana at Washington. Washington easy. Yeah, these aren't going to be the toughest to pick. I will take Washington. <laughs> I think we can just bank it that everyone's taking the Pac-12 team against the FCS opponent. So uh, if we can just stipulate that, why don't we just move on to ASU Southern Utah, the our score prediction. All right, ASU Southern Utah score prediction. Jacob, do you want to go first? Uh, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I think ASU obviously wins this game. Score, I'm going to go ASU 41, Southern Utah 13. Interesting. I'm going to go a little bit more lopsided. I'm going to say ASU 52, Southern Utah 7. I think that as long as that first team defense is out there, it's going to be really hard to move the ball on them. I'm going to say ASU wins 55-10, and the 10 points 
at least seven of those come against this, the backups. I am going to go ASU 52 and Southern Utah 6. So that was the ASU – or that was the Sun Devil Source for a podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Make sure to stay tuned in to sundevilsource.com for all of our content throughout game week as, and as well as ASU takes on Southern Utah for their first game of the season. I'm Ethan Ryder, joined by Carson Brever, Chris Cartman, and Jacob Rudner. We'll see you guys next time.